To become really great and successful in your life, you need to take hold of key things in life. Today, we're learning how to become proactive people. This message is the ninth in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Get Engaged. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We're involved in a series of messages called Take Hold. I want to talk to you this weekend about getting engaged. Now, that is not in the marital sense. Some of you are saying, praise God, my prayers were answered, okay? No, I'm going to talk about it a little bit differently today. I want to talk about getting engaged as we think about our spiritual journey with God. How do you get engaged with God? Think about the engagement, that word, as a, as a term that we might use with your automobile uh, when you're in park, you're not going anywhere, you're neutral, you're not going anywhere, but when you put it in, in drive, when you put it in gear, you engage the gears, and motion and traction starts transpiring in your life, in your journey, and so that's how I want to use that term today, getting engaged with God. Now, taking hold involves taking uh, and being aware of that we, there's certain things in life that we need to make sure we have a grip on. And make sure it has a grip on us. We need to make sure we have the grip on the right things. Because if you're holding on to the wrong things in life, it's going to lead you to the wrong places. If the wrong things have hold on you, it will take you to the wrong places. So what you take hold of really matters in life. And part of taking hold learn, involves learning how to get engaged with the right things. Putting yourself in gear in the right kind of way. And I want to share with you two things that will help us this weekend to get engaged with God. To understand that process. And the first thing foundationally that we need to understand is that to have a successful life, you need to become a proactive person, that God has designed you to work best in a state of proactivity instead of passivity, that God wants you to be a proactive person. Let me define the word proactive for you so we'll all be on the same page together. To be proactive means that you are doing what is in your appropriate power to do that you're actually engaging in, that you're making something better. You're investing in what you have the power to invest in that was in your appropriate power to invest in, that you're making a day better or a life better because of what you're doing right now. You're adding positive value to what you can add value to. Now, in life, there are a lot of things that we cannot control, right? There are things in your life right now that, that you can't control. There are things in your life right now that really are not for you to control. What happens for a lot of us, though, is we spend a lot of our time and our energy trying to control things that we really can't control and trying to control things that really we should not even be trying to control. And the end result, when you are trying to control things that you have no business trying to control, it leads you to a place where you oftentimes will be filled with anxiety. You certainly will be filled with a certain level of fatigue. It wears you out on the inside. It creates frustration for your life. And ultimately, you will be a failure because you cannot control things that you cannot control. And so if you're trying to control things that you can't control, it's going to wear your life out. Ultimately, it leads to failure. And so part of what we must learn to do is to let go of those things we cannot control and focus on those things that we can. And there's a key word, focus. The part of what makes a life powerful is to learn how to become a focused person. How do we focus our attention where it needs to be and get our attention away from where it does not be, need to be? And one of the tricks of the adversary in your life is to try you to get you focused on things that you have no business focusing on. And when you get focused on the wrong things, then you're not looking at the right things. Maybe you've seen this with lion tamers who get into these big cages with lions 
It's amazing what happens there. Uh, here's a, a man that walks in and all these roaring lions in the cage and you wonder, how will he ever be able to survive? And oftentimes, the only thing that a lion tamer will take into the cage with them is a chair or a stool. You ever seen that before? This chair or stool they take in with them? You think, what, what is that all about? Why would they take a chair or a stool against these massive, muscular beasts? Why would they do this? Well, they've learned something. They've learned that when they hold up the chair or they hold up the, the, the stool in the face of the lion, what the lion does is the lion tries to focus on all four legs at the same time. And because the lion cannot focus on all four legs at the same time, it disorients the lion. So he's kind of paralyzed. So it's like giving them a paralytic shot just by holding up four things to focus on when they can't do it. And that's exactly what the enemy loves to do in your life. He loves to get you looking at things you shouldn't be looking at because when you do that, he, he, he removes from you the focus that is vital to your spiritual journey and to your spiritual success. And so it's extremely important that you and I learn to pay attention to the things that we should be paying attention to and to let go of those things that we should not be paying attention to so that our focus is in the place where it needs to be so that we can work on the things we need to work on. Because God's plan for your life, listen closely, God's plan for your life is this. God wants to work together with you to make your life successful, fruitful. While God is working in your life, the work of God in your life is not just about what He wants to do in your life. It's about you working together with Him, that you do your part and then trust God to do His part. And so you must answer the question, what is my part? Because we know God always does His part, amen? God never fails. God is always doing His part. So the problem is never with God. The problem is with us. Are we doing our part? And part of doing our part is learning how to be this proactive person, how to move beyond passivity to proactivity, engaging as we need to engage. And there are three words I want you to circle on your notes this morning that will help us to understand what it means to be a proactive person. Circle them. I'll mention them. We'll go back and read these three things together. Number one, plan. Number two, prepare. Number three, plant. Circle those three words, plan, prepare, and plant. Say it with me. Plan, prepare, and plant. God says, I want you to work with me by making some plans. Plan, for a great day and for a better tomorrow, make some plans in your life. Now, there are a lot of Christians that are kind of anti-planning, as though God is somehow opposed to planning. I've learned something about God. He has a plan. That's why we often go to God and say, God, what is your plan? Because He actually has one. And so we say, God, what, what is your plan? He reveals His plans to us. And in fact, the Bible is a plan book. There's a plan of God in the Bible. And so if we are made in the image of God, if God is a planner, we should be a planner as well. And so it involves taking a look at my day-to-day -day and asking myself, how can I plan my day in a way that will make my day better? How can I plan my life so that my tomorrows are going to be better? What plan do I need to bring with my life? Now, our, our plan oftentimes is less than or different than God's plan. That means we always need to submit our plans to God, but God wants you to have a plan. Amen? That's part of being proactive. I've got a plan for my life. I'm praying. I'm thinking. I'm engaging. I'm not just letting life happen to me. I'm a part of the process of life. I'm planning for a great day, and I'm planning for a better tomorrow. See, often we will tell someone, have a good day. 
I encourage you to change that. Don't say, have a good day. Say, make it a good day. Because there's a difference in just having a good day and making it a good day. Number two, prepare for a great day and a better tomorrow. That means there's some preparation. It's not enough to have a plan. You have to prepare. Preparation is, the, is actually the sign that you really believe something's going to happen with your life. If you don't prepare, then you're never gonna, there'll never be anything that will transpire with your life. You'll live passively. See, you can, you can have the desire to build a new house, and you can go to an architect, and you can have plans drawn up. You have the most beautiful plan, but you still don't have a house. Until you prepare for it by getting the construction loans and getting the right people to build it, there's preparation that goes that's involved in the process, then the, the thing can come together when there's not just a plan, but there's actually engagement with the plan by preparation. You start ordering and organizing life in the way that it needs to be ordered and organized. Number three, plant for a great day and a better tomorrow. There's some planting, investing, engaging that you need to do. And it is that phrase, planting for, that I want to really hone in on this weekend, that you not only need to plan and prepare, but you need to plant for what God wants to do in your life today and in the days to come. There's a planting that needs to be done in your life. Planting is a a part of being a proactive person. How do I plant for today so I have the right harvest tomorrow? See, if I'm not planting the right way today, I'm not going to have the right harvest for tomorrow. If I'm not planning for today and preparing for today, I will not have the ability to plant for tomorrow as I need to. And all of those things go together. See, God did not call you to live a passive life. God called you to live a proactive life, to be engaged with Him in the journey. It's not just what God wants to do for you. It's what God wants to do with you. Together, working with God. Now, how do we do this plan, prepare, and plan, especially on the planting part? I want to, again, draw your attention most, uh, most specifically to that this weekend, and I'll give you my second point that ties into that very thing, that God has given us, given you, life responsibilities. When we talk about planning, preparing, and certainly planting for, you plant in the realm of your responsibilities. That's where it all begins. Every person here, you have certain life responsibilities that have been assigned to you. God has assigned certain things to you. You have assignments from God right now. If you're married, you have an assignment called a marriage. If you are a parent, you have an assignment called your children. If you have a job, you have an assignment, whatever your job might be. We could go on and on about all the different realms and areas of responsibility in life. But with an assignment always comes an expectation that just as God has assigned certain things to you, He expects certain things from you. Teachers understand this. If they assign homework, they expect their students to do the homework, right? If your boss assigns you a task or a job to do, that boss, he or she, is going to expect there to be some kind of result based upon what the assignment has been. And so when God gives us assignments, He expects us to do something with it. And part of what God has assigned you and me are responsibilities in life. And your life primarily is made up of what you do with your responsibilities by the choices that you make. It's not what God does to you because God is for you, not against you. Isn't that great to know? 
So God is for you. He's pulling for you. He wants to help you along the journey, but He's now asking you to work together with Him by being proactive, by making the right choices. And here's what I notice many times. A lot of times people make wrong choices in life or foolish choices in life, and then they get mad at God for the consequences. Has that ever happened to you before? You did something really ridiculous or foolish, and then you're all mad at God because how it turned out? Proverbs 19, verse 3 really describes this for us. In fact, I'm going to ask you to read this with me, and as you're reading it, think about maybe a time in your life when this this verse was real to you. It happened to you. Let's read together loud and loudly. All the folks in Frederick, would you read together with me as well? Here we go. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Has ever been you? You kind of mess things up, and then you get mad at God because it's a mess. Now, let me just side note here for a moment. I'm glad that God is able to take our messages and make something beautiful out of them, our, our, message, our messes and make something beautiful out of them, aren't you? He's able to step into your life when you have made a mess. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. And so this, this message is not about condemning you about some mistakes that you made. I'm simply saying don't blame God for it, okay? Bring it to God so that he can do something with it. And so often we want to push the responsibility over on God when it really has to do with choices that we've made in our life. And God wants you to be a responsible person. He wants you to take right actions, make right choices. Now this assignment of life responsibilities goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, we see God's first assignment of responsibility to the man he created. Now, before I talk about this verse, let me just remind you of something that you need to know today. Genesis chapter 2 comes before Genesis chapter 3. Isn't that good to know? You thought, wow, what an amazing statement. Yeah. There's a reason I tell you that. Because most of us are familiar with Genesis chapter 3. Because in Genesis chapter 3, it's the whole story of Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, and the serpent comes along and and tempts Adam and Eve to do what they were not supposed to do. And, of course, we know the story of how Eve eats of the fruit, Adam eats of the fruit, and they sin against God, and they're, they're estranged from God. All that happens. We know that story, and oftentimes we think that responsibility in life has come as a result of the fall of man, the sin of man. But what I want you to see is that God gave mankind responsibility before sin entered into the world. And so responsibility was something that God ordained for our life. Even as healthy, whole individuals, He, he wants you to operate responsibly. Notice Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. How many of you are still with me today? You with me? Good. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To, oh, there's that word, to work it and take care of it. God said, I'm going to create this perfect environment for you. Can you imagine God created the Garden of Eden and put Adam in it and said, Hey, Adam, by the way, this beautiful, incredible place that I placed you in, this Garden of Eden, now I'm giving you the responsibility to take charge of and to work what I created. Think about that for a moment. God created it, but he gave the responsibility as to what it would become. He gave it to Adam. That's an amazing thing that God gave this beautiful, created environment called the Garden of Eden to Adam, and now it's his responsibility. What becomes of the garden really is determined by what Adam does with what God gave him. 
And the same is true for you and me, that what your life becomes, what your future becomes, is going to be determined by what you do with what God has given you right now in your life. What is in your life right now, that is extremely, extremely important because if you don't handle responsibly what's been given to you right now, I will tell you, it's going to have an effect upon what's going to happen in the days to come in your life. God said, Adam, here's the garden. Now you do something with it. You work it. And you take charge of it, you take care of it. The same principle in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Do not be deceived. Don't let the devil trick you. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he... That is, here's the principle, God says. Whatever you're going to reap in your life is going to be determined by what you sow. The seed produces the harvest. Whatever seed you use will determine what the harvest will be. There's another element to this equation that I will introduce in a moment, but right now, just think with me about seed and harvest. Seed and harvest. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Again, it's talking about seed and harvest. If we do not give up, therefore, as as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That's, again, planting seed to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So in both of those passages I've just read, it's all about doing something with what God's given you, planting seed, taking responsibility. Let's see what Jesus says about this. I want to know what Jesus says. How about you? What did Jesus say? Matthew 13. Here we go. Gave a parable, beginning in verse number 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. So again, we're on the same track, right? Same theme going on here, right? As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now we have another ingredient that goes into life responsibilities. It's about the seed you plant. It's also about the soil that you have. Okay, Seed, soil, harvest. All, all of those are working together. Seed and soil is what produces your harvest. Say it with me. Seed and soil produces your harvest. You got bad seed, bad harvest. Bad soil, bad harvest. Good seed, bad soil, what? Bad harvest. So you see there's an equation here. There's a relationship between the seed and the soil and the effect upon the harvest. So you don't only have to be concerned about your seed. You also have to be concerned about your soil. Okay? And Jesus gave us this parable. He said there's a farmer that went out to sow seed, and he sowed it in different kinds of soil. So this is a story about the farmer, the seed, and the soil. If you'll understand those three things, you'll understand this parable. The farmer, the seed, and the soil. That's what it's all about. The farmer is God. It's talking about God sowing seed. That's the word of God in this parable. And the soil represents the condition of our heart. So here's what I want you to see. When it comes to you being responsible in your life, you're responsible not only for the seed you sow, but for the soil of your heart. The seed, you're responsible for both those things. Responsible for what you are giving out of your life, the seeds you're planting, and the soil condition of your soul. Okay? 
Nobody else is responsible for that. You're responsible for your seed and your soil, okay? And here's the story. Jesus said there's certain soil that's like this, like hard soil, because it's a path. People have been walking on it. And so when the farmer sows the seed, it's good seed, but it lands on hard, hard ground. And what happens is because there's, there's, it's so packed down that the seed cannot get down into the soil and it will never germinate, that the birds see the seed laying on top of that ground and the birds come along and just eat it away and steal it away. And so there's nothing left there at all and no harvest comes from it. That represents hearts that are hard. You'll never be able to be the person that God wants you to be or accomplish the things that God will want to accomplish with your life if you have a hard heart. And there's some of us here today, perhaps that's where you are, that you're hard. Your heart, is allowed, you've allowed it to become hardened by life circumstances, by events, by things that you've chosen to process the wrong way. And when you choose to process the wrong way, things the wrong way, what happens is your heart gets a little crustier your heart gets a little harder. And you allow, the Bible speaks of the fact that we ourselves can allow our own hearts to be hardened. And when your heart gets hardened at any level, what happens is you're now shutting off the capacity of the seed to bear fruit in your life. Amen? It's just not going to happen. And the enemy just comes and steals stuff away from you. Your easy pickings. The enemy can play games with you all the time because what happens in your life is that you don't, there's nothing going down to create the fruit that's necessary. Then he says it was the farm. He goes out and he plants seed, and it's like shallow soil, okay? And that's like this. There's soil that's, that's, that's really good soil, but it's not very deep. And underneath that soil is a bunch of rocks that are there, and here's what happens. The seed is planted. It actually goes down into the soil, and it starts to germinate. It looks very hopeful. This is going to be a great plant. But over a period of time, as the plant grows, the plant cannot create a root system because there's too many hard things underneath. Oh, soil on top, but shallow. There's not enough room and ability for, this, for the root system to develop. And so as the plant shoots up, it's taller than it is deep. It has height, but it doesn't have depth. Boy, does that describe a lot of people. There's something missing on the inside. There's something hard down there again, but it's hidden. It's a little further under the surface. And there are many people like that, that they started their spiritual journey and they have a spiritual journey with God, and, but it's still shallow. There are things on the inside of them they're in their hearts and their lives that, that they've never been willing to address or deal with. Areas of their, or their walk with God or areas of emotional issues in their life. We all have them, but God wants to dig the rocks up. Amen? wants to get the rocks out of your life so that there can be a root system deeply within you. And then there's people that he describes a condition of soil. People are like this where the seed is planted and the, it's really good soil. It comes up. It's flourishing. And then the gardener loses, a, loses focus on the garden and all these other seeds come in. The weed seeds come in and they begin to grow up and choke out the plant so that what was fruitful is no longer fruitful because all of these other parasitical plants come in and choke the life out. And so what had great hope and possibilities destroyed. And maybe that's you today, that you were going along in your spiritual journey, but you lost your, 
your attention to God, that you don't, you're not really attentive to God like you used to be, and things of the world has taken, have taken your attention and pulled you away and your focus from God, and you're never going to be everything that God wants you to be until you, you get back on track with Him, and those things are put aside, and your focus is centrally placed upon God. But then there's the good soil. Aren't you glad that part, that part is included in the parable too? And the good soil is where the farmer plants the good seed and the soil is everything it needs to be and it begins to nourish and grow that seed until it's germinated and becomes a fruitful, mature plant and produces 36 and 100 times what was planted. What is the principle? The principle is you're responsible for the seed you sow and the soil of your heart, the soil you have. And if you and I are going to be proactive we have to pay attention to the seed we're sowing and the soil of our soul. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to wrap up today with four things I want you to remember. This, if you don't remember anything else I've said so far, all I've said so far is really to build the foundation of the last four things I'm about to say. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't take notes, you ought to take them for the next few moments because you need to get these four things. I want you to think about them all week long. Get these things in your spirit, your soul, your mind. Because this will help you to take hold of the right things in your life. Number one, remember this. You have a garden. Every person here, you have a garden. I don't know what your garden is, but I know it is represented by your responsibilities, by the opportunities that you have in your life right now. You have a garden. If you're married, your marriage is a garden. If you're a parent, your children are your garden. If you have a job, your job is a garden. Every realm of your life, you have a garden. There are things that you are gardening in your life right now. Say it with me. I have a garden. Say it together. I have a garden. Say it again. I have a garden. Very important for you to get. God placed Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it, right? So we, we will never buy into this thing until we accept the reality that God has put us in a garden. I have a garden. Say it again. I have a garden. I don't mean to be uh, overemphasize uh, this, but I want you to get it deeply in your heart. Just like God placed Adam in a garden, God has placed you in a garden. You have a garden. Your garden is represented by your responsibilities and your opportunities right now. Not what was yesterday, not what is tomorrow, but what is in your life right now. Amen? Number two, write it down. Your life is a garden. Not only do you have a garden, but your life is a garden. What do I mean by that? That just like you have a garden in terms of responsibilities and opportunities, there are also things in you that need to grow as well. That you, you are a garden internally. There's a garden of your soul that needs to be tended. And while you're taking care of things out there, you also need to be taking care of things in here. Because the better you take care of things in here, the more capacity you'll have for the things out there. Okay, And so God doesn't say either or pay attention to out there and forget in here or pay attention to in here and forget out there. God says pay attention to out there and in here, in here and out there. That is what's going on in you is vital to what happens outside of you. Amen? So you've got a garden. Yes, you have a garden, but your life is a garden. Can I ask you, how is the garden of your soul today? What kind of soil do you have? Do you have hardened soil, or do you have rocky soil, or do you have weed-infested soil, or do you have good soil? I don't know the answer to that, but I want to ask you, how is the soil of your garden? What does it look like? Because soil impacts harvest. It impacts the harvest of your life. 
So you have a garden. Your life is a garden. The third thing I want you to write down, very important, you have responsibility for your own garden. Whose garden are you responsible for? Whose, whose garden are you responsible for? Your own garden. I hope that some of you today will resign from taking care of other people's gardens. Okay? Because some of you are spending so much time on other people's gardens that you're neglecting your own. You're not paying attention to what's going on in you or outside of you. It's a trap that we can all fall prey to, but you must understand that you have a garden that you have responsibility for. Here's the beautiful thing. If you'll start growing the right kind of garden, you'll have a great impact on other people's gardens. Okay? Because if you'll grow good fruit from your life, I promise you that that fruit will feed other people in their lives. That's why we have to pay attention to our own garden. That's why we try to draw people back, God does, back to thinking about you and not somebody else. But what, what, is, what, what do I need to do with what I've been given? What do I need to do with the life that I have? I have to pay attention to my own garden. The last point here, the fourth one, is that to have a great garden, you have to be an engaged gardener. A proactive gardener. You have to be engaged with gardening. I've learned something about gardens. You have to have a relationship with your garden. For many, many years, my wife and I had gardens every summer. We've retired from that now. Reason being, we were total failures, okay? We never really had a great garden. We tried. And I would... Part of what kind of cued me into this is that I, I was trying to grow stuff like tomatoes and squash and cucumbers and those kind of things that we would grow, watermelons. And one time I tried to plant corn. I mean, I've tried all kinds of stuff over the years. And I would come to church on a weekend of harvest time and somebody would come in and they would bring me, Pastor, we've got, a, we've got some tomatoes for you that we grew in our garden. Can I share them? Oh, absolutely, I love tomatoes. And they would give me a bag of their tomatoes. I would pull them out, and they were like this big, okay? And they were red. I I learned that tomatoes are supposed to be red, okay? I learned that, okay? They gave me these massive tomatoes, and I'm looking at my little tomatoes over here. They're all shriveled up, and they're brown, okay? I mean, I can't even get a quarter of a tomato sandwich out of them. I mean, it's bad, okay? And I'm comparing the fruit, okay? I'm looking at my fruit and their fruit, and I realize there's a problem somewhere here. And what I learned was the problem was me. Because when they engaged with their garden, they worked their garden, what I did is I walked by my garden and said, bless you in Jesus' name. May God make you grow and be prosperous. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious. You may I have massive tomatoes, great squash, Beautiful corn in Jesus' name, amen. And it didn't work. Okay? I even rebuked weeds in the name of Jesus. Come out! I learned you can't cast weeds out. You have to pull them out. Okay? And so all the spiritual stuff I tried to do, I even tried talking to my plants. Okay, come on, you can do it. It doesn't work, okay? What they want is they want engagement. Plants are begging for engagement. Cultivate me. Get the weeds out. I'll tell you something else about weeds. When you cast those demons out, they come back, okay? They come back the next day and the next. So you've got to stay on that if you're going to have a great garden. And what I want you to see today is this that you have a garden right now in your life. What is your garden? 
Whatever your responsibilities are in life right now, that's your garden. Whatever opportunities you have in life, right, that's your garden. Your life is a garden. What's going on in here is a garden, okay? And who's responsible for your garden? You are responsible for your garden. And if you will become an engaged gardener, what will happen is this. You'll begin to see God working together with you to produce a wonderful harvest through you. See, there's something wonderful about God. He's just looking for people who are willing to work with him. Would you work with me? Would you join up on my team? Oh, could God do it alone? Oh, no question. God could do it alone. But he, choose to work, he chooses to work with and through people. Be the kind of gardener that is engaged with God. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so very grateful that you've called us to be workers together with you. And I pray that in Jesus' name that you'll take this message this morning and let it come deeply into our hearts, into our lives. Let it produce deep, abiding fruit for your glory. Let us be proactive in the way we live our lives before you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.